Well, welcome, everybody, to another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News, and once again, it is my pleasure to serve as host and moderator as the six debaters you see sharing the stage here with me at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. Three against three will be debating this motion, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. Now, I want to point out this is a debate. It's a contest, and though we have some professors on the panels, they are not here to lecture. They are here to attack and defend, but with ideas well articulated and well argued. And in that debate, you, our live audience here at the Skirball Center, act as the judges. By the time the evening has ended, you will have voted twice, once before the debate begins and once again at the end, to tell us whether you agree or disagree with the motion. And at the end of the debate, the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. Now, it is time to vote our preliminary vote. And if you go to the keypad on your left side, there's a range of buttons from 1 to 10. Ignore all of them but 1, 2, and 3. If you push number 1, it means that you agree with the motion that Obama's economic policies are working effectively. Number 2 means that you disagree. And number three means that you're undecided. And if you feel that you've pushed the buttons incorrectly, just repeat the correct entry, and uh, it will update to the, to the current one. So it looks like everybody's done that. And so our preliminary vote is in. And let's let the debate begin. Round one, opening statements by each debater, seven minutes each. We begin with Mark Zandi, who is an economist and the founder of Moody'sEconomy.com during the 2008 presidential campaign, he was an advisor to Senator John McCain. He has since become an advisor to the Obama White House. Mark, I'm not sure what that tells us about which side you're on, <laughs> but the floor is yours. I'm an ecumenical economist, uh, <laughs> let's put it that way. Uh, I want to thank Intelligence Squared for the uh, opportunity to uh, be here today. It's cer certainly an honor to be here and to address such an important topic. I'm going to make uh, three points in my opening remarks. Uh, point number one. I think it's really quite amazing the totality of the policy response from the administration. I, I think we forget all the things that have been done to try to shore up the economy. Uh, and we tend to focus on the one or two or three things that uh, are, we're most annoyed about, and we focus on that. But let, let me just spend a few minutes, um, well, I've got six minutes and 30 seconds. Let me spend a couple minutes going over that. Uh, in our three uh, broad areas of, of policy effort here. First is the effort to shore up the financial system. And this is everything from uh, what the FDIC has done, uh, increasing deposit insurance limits, uh, to a, a guaranteeing bank debt to allow the banks to issue debt, to efforts by the Treasury uh, to help facilitate all the things that the Federal Reserve Board has been doing uh, to, tr to try to provide credit to the financial system and stabilize the financial system. Uh, Perhaps the most important thing in my mind with regard to the effort to shore up the financial system were the bank stress tests. Do you, do you remember the stress test? This was done back uh, earlier, earlier this year. And to me, those stress tests were the modern-day equivalent of what FDR did back in the Great Depression. He, I'm going to exaggerate just a little bit, but only a little bit. He closed all the banks on a Friday, and he said on the subsequent Monday to his Treasury Secretary, open all of them except a couple hundred of them. And the Treasury Secretary said to him, well, which one should I, uh, should I open? And uh, FDR said, well, it really doesn't matter because the ones you open, everyone will think are safe and life will go on. And in fact, it worked. It restored confidence. And uh, that was the beginning of the end of the Great Depression. And the stress test, in fact, did that. It restored confidence and the financial system is stable. 
The second broad area of the policy response was to shore up the two weakest parts of our economy, the housing market and the auto market. I'm not going to spend much time on the auto market because Steve was so intimately involved in that great effort, uh, and he'll talk about that. But uh, I know housing, and the efforts to shore up the housing market have been uh, quite amazing, and just to name a few things, the first-time homebuyer tax credit, uh, very important in stabilizing housing values this summer to help to support uh, buying by first-time homebuyers. The loan modification plan to help uh, homeowners who are uh, facing foreclosure uh, to get their monthly mortgage payments down so that they can afford their, their mortgage payment. Uh, efforts to provide more credit to the residential mortgage market through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and FHA. Here's a statistic for you. 90% of all the residential mortgage loans being made today are being made by the federal government. So if the federal government wasn't making those loans, the housing market would be in complete disarray and uh, we'd be in uh, very significant trouble. So uh, the second broad policy effort was uh, to help shore up uh, those two key sectors, the two weakest sectors of our economy. And the third policy response, uh, broadly speaking, is the fiscal stimulus. Much maligned, but ultimately at the end of the day, very successful. I don't think it's any accident that the recession came to an end at the same time that the stimulus was providing its maximum economic benefit to the economy. And the stimulus is lots of things. It's aid to unemployed workers. It's help to state governments. It's the first-time homebuyer tax credits, the cash for clunkers, uh, a long list of things, the infrastructure spending, all very important. So please remember, point number one, that the uh, policy effort is a range of many things. It's been incredibly uh, ama it's amazing and cr incredibly unprecedented what has been done here and uh, key to bringing uh, an end to this great recession. Point number two, here's the statistics. Uh, the statistics, I think, are overwhelming. A year ago, think back a year ago, what was going on? Major financial institutions were evaporating or being nationalized. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Lehman, Bayer, AIG. Citigroup was on, on the uh, doorstep of, of uh, falling apart. And look at the situation today, the financial system. It's not normal, no, but it is stable. And banks aren't lending to us yet as business people and as consumers, but they're moving in that direction. And just imagine where we'd be today without that stability in the financial system. Think about the economic statistics. Uh, housing activity, uh, new and existing single-family housing starts hit a low in January. Housing construction hit a low in January. Back at the beginning of the year, Housing values were falling very rapidly. Today, the last couple of quarters, they've actually begun uh, to increase. GDP, the value of all the things that we produce as an economy, grew 3.5% in the third quarter, and the growth was a very broad base. That was the first substantive growth in over a year and a half. And, uh, and, and clearly driving the, uh, the economy forward, the GDP in the fourth quarter, the current quarter, is on track to be positive again. The job market. Last thing to improve, but it is improving. We're moving in the right direction. Uh, we, just to give you a statistic, at the beginning of the year, we, lost, we were losing 700,000 jobs on average every single month. In the last three months, we lost 200,000 jobs per month. Now, I know that's a lot of jobs. Unemployment is still rising, but the trend lines are right. They're moving in the right direction. And my view is by early next year, we will have a stable job market. And by the end of next year, we will have job growth that's meaningful enough to uh, bring down the rate of unemployment. So everything is moving in the right direction. Finally, point number three, I said there were three points. The proposition is the Obama administration's policies are working effectively. It's not they have worked. This is not a, a, a mission accomplished. No one is arguing that this is over and done with. We have more work to do 
and the administration is still working. Just uh, last week, they passed another piece of legislation to help extend unemployment insurance benefits for people who lose their jobs in 2009. Now, if you become unemployed in, in 2009, you have 99 weeks of unemployment insurance benefits. They extended and they expanded the first-time homebuyer tax credit into next year to provide support to the housing market, and they provided a number of other supports. Uh, they are debating uh, right now and will likely pass other efforts to shore up the economy, uh, extend some of the other provisions in the stimulus to make sure that the, the, the stimulus provides uh, uh, benefit to the economy as we make our way into 2010. And more importantly, and perhaps most importantly, uh, we are working through some of the structural problems in our economy, working on the hard, difficult issues. Uh, most uh, obviously would be financial regulatory reform. Now, this is something you don't want to do quickly. You don't want to make a mistake. Our financial regulatory structure has been in place since the Great Depression. It feels like it, and we've got to take time to make it right. So uh, in my view, uh, what the administration has done has been highly successful. Thank you, Mark Sandy. And I, I just want to point out the amazing virtuosity of Mark Sandy, who was watching the clock the whole time. And he said, thank you, as the clock that's in front of us, you can't see, turned to zero. <laughs> it was just about perfect. Our motion is Obama's economic <laughs> Our motion is Obama's economic policies are working effectively, and our first debater to argue against the motion, James Galbraith of the University of Texas. He generally argues from the left. He also has a rather scathing view of economists in the United States in general. He has said that on all important policy issues, they are on the wrong side. Himself an economist, James Galbraith. Thank you very much. The question before the House may appear political, but it in fact is not. One person on our panel, as you've heard, shifted his position to argue our side. Two of us supported President Obama in the last election, and all three of us hope that he will succeed. The question is about the economy. It is about whether the economic program is working effectively. Lawrence Summers, the chief economic advisor, to the president told the Washington Post on November 8th, quote, I think we got the Recovery Act right. The primary objective of our policy is having more work done, more product produced, and more people earning more income. We agree with that standard. The economy is not performing up to that standard. Basically, if you leave aside the actions, some of which Mark mentioned, such as the extension of deposit insurance by the FDIC, that were taken under the Bush administration, the Obama economic program, the principal points are two. One is the Recovery Act, the stimulus bill, and the other is the policy of providing free reserves, credit at zero interest rate, to the banking system in the hopes that credit will flow again. So the question before us is, was the su stimulus sufficient? And secondly, is credit flowing again? Now, the stimulus did do some good things. It helped forestall the complete collapse of budgets in the state and local government sector. It has created some construction jobs and will create more. It has provided some tax relief. The question is, is it enough? I think it is pretty clear that it was not enough. The stimulus was enacted based on a forecast that unemployment would not rise past about 8% by the middle of this year, would decline thereafter. That forecast was clearly wildly 
optimistic. It underestimated the state and local crisis where job cuts are just offsetting the jobs created but with federal funds. It did too little too late to meet the foreclosure crisis which is presently running at several million homes a year. Let me quote a distinguished economist. On November 6, 2009, he wrote, after rising for more than two and a half years, the country's unemployment rate crossed into double-digit territory in October with a jobless rate of 10.2%. This provides another sign of the severity of the current downturn, the very long road we face back to full employment, and the urgent need for more policy action to create jobs and protect those who cannot find work. With such a huge fire, we need every hose we can find to put it out. I agree with that. There is an urgent need for more policy action. Who said it? Why, Larry Michelle, president of the Economic Policy Institute, said it just <laughs> 10 days ago. Would you say, if you, if you say this, that you also agree with Larry Summers that the Recovery Act got it right? Now, I am not an economic forecaster, but there are forecasters I greatly respect, and here is what one of them testified to Congress on October 29th. It is growing clear, he said, that more policy help will be needed to ensure that the tentative recovery evolves into a self-sustaining expansion. Although a double-dip downturn is less than likely, meaningful threats to the recovery still exist. Most notable, are the intensifying stresses in the job market, the ongoing going foreclosure crisis, the boom and bust in the commercial real estate market, the dysfunctional structured finance market, and the fiscal woes of state and local governments. It's quite an impressive list, and I hesitate to see, say this in a theater, but it sounds like other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? To go on, Congress must provide more resources to unemployed workers whose benefits are running out, to state and local governments unable to balance their budgets, and to household and businesses looking to buy homes and invest. I agree with that. Congress must provide more resources. Who said it? Why, Mark Zandi said it, the founder of Moody'sEconomy.com, just two weeks ago. Would you say this? if you agreed with Larry Summers that the Recovery Act got it right. Now it's true, free money has saved the banks, everyone knows this, from their profit reports and their bonuses. The stock market has come back and so has the price of oil. Is this enough? We think not. We think the housing crisis is important, we think the collapse of small business is important, we think 10% unemployment as far as the eye can see is a disaster. We know, as every business in America knows, that credit is not flowing again. What would a working program look like? First, it would resolve, rather than coddle, the toxic banks. It would stop the displacement of people from their homes. Not just slow it, not just help a few, but stop the displacement of people from their homes. It would help older workers who are ready to leave their jobs to retire by providing them with a more comfortable employment and health care that they can count on at an earlier age uh, than 65. Opening up places for younger people who are looking for jobs in today's catastrophic labor market. And it would fund a lot of new green jobs all across the country, 
providing every American who wants a chance to work for the duration until the private sector comes back, revives, and is able to take up the slack. On our side, we don't agree on all of the issues. But on the issues just outlined, and I submit they are the essential issues, the facts are plain. Better than nothing is not good enough. There was a poll, at least just a few days ago on November 6th, which stated that 47% of Americans think that the economy is still the most important issue. That's against all the other issues that might be considered. The American people know what this is about. They do not think that the program is working effectively. And that is surely telling. If it were working effectively, they would know. Thank you very much. Wow. We just had another one of those one-second <laughs> accomplishments. Um, next to argue for the motion, we asked the White House if they would provide uh, a member of the administration to take part in the debate. They did not want to do that, but they suggested our, uh, our next debater, Larry Michelle, who is the president of the Economic Policy Institute. So, Larry, I, I, I'm not saying you're the White House's guy, but now everybody's going to think of you that way as, <laughs> as you get up. But the floor is yours. Well, I hope I get invited to the next uh, official state dinner then. Um, <laughs> you know, as an economist, uh, over my career, I've been focused on what are the living standards of the American people, the working class? How have they done? And so what has mattered to me most on economic policy is, in fact, what have we done to create jobs to get the unemployment rate down? And so I want to focus on the Recovery Act. And I'm here to say that I think it has actually been a bold and effective act. No, it has not solved all our economic problems. It has not solved the unemployment problem. That is not quite the standard that you should uh, imagine for judging whether the policies are effective. Uh, let me just say the, my imagery for all this. Uh, President Obama inherited a really large apartment building. It was all a flame, a fire. He gathered all the fire trucks and hoses he could, and he put out the flames in at least half the floors. But the critics say, look, there's still fire. Uh, and so your policies must be wrong. And especially, it turns out, these critics are the conservatives who actually lit the darn fire. And they tried to keep the fire hoses from actually getting to the fire building. I think it's actually quite outrageous. Now, it's a somewhat different. I think it's somewhat different to my longtime, uh, I don't have any old friends, I only have longtime friends, uh, Jamie Galbraith. Um, uh, but we'll get, we'll get around to that. So let me talk at first about what the fire was. Mark talked about it. Over the nine months that included the last half of 2008 and the first three months of 2009, none of which were the responsibility of President Obama, okay, we had the fastest decline in the economy since they started, basically since they started collecting the data in 1947 on a quarterly basis. We had already seen six million jobs lost by March 2009. The unemployment rate was already 8.5%, which is the highest it was since the great, uh, really deep recession of the early 1980s. So we were really in deep, you know what. Um, and so we had the Recovery Act, which was passed very quickly and effectively. 
actually started having some effect in March, but mostly started having an effect in April. And I want to go through exactly what it does so it's not an abstraction. What are the different components? First, as Mark mentioned, support to the unemployed and helping them not only with unemployment benefits and higher benefits, extended benefits, and, and health care, and a, a major increase in food stamps. Why does that matter? Because by supporting their incomes and their spending, it creates jobs throughout the economy. Secondly, there was a major influx of money to uh, state governments who, in, by resolving their own deficits, when they have to cut programs and raise taxes, they actually, what, what Paul Krugman said is they are like 50 little Herbert Hoovers. They are driving us into a recession by actually exacerbating the problem. Okay? When you give them the money, they don't cut the programs. They keep the people that work for them and the, and the local governments employed. They keep the contractors in the private sector delivering uh, construction contracts, health care, uh, nursing homes, et cetera, employed. And by all those people being employed to, uh, and spending money, they keep jobs going throughout the economy. Okay, there's also third, a tax cut that was in effect in April. Everybody's withholding on their W-2s was actually increased, providing more income, more money to spend. Uh, last, there was some government spending and in infrastructure that started going out. But the main infrastructure spending actually is scheduled for uh, 2010. This, that's when we get the energy alternatives, that's when we get the more infrastructure and other things that are going to create productivity in the long run as well as create jobs. What has been the effect of all this spending? Well, as Mark said, over the last six months, uh, we've actually seen uh, a, a much different uh, outcome than what was uh, projected. In the, in, the, in the springtime, the economy shrank by a little bit. It would have shrank by around uh, 4%, but it actually shrank by a little bit less than 1%. In the, in the summer, uh, the economy actually grew. Now, as someone dedicated to raising the living standards of, of the entire uh, broad middle class, who's satisfied with that? I'm not satisfied with that, okay? But the question is, are you going to judge the Obama administration policy ineffective because it hasn't corrected what I think is 30 years of generating inequality, uh, false-hearted, uh, 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 silly deregulation and, and worshiping of markets where we shouldn't have done it that got us into this darn mess? Uh, I don't think that's quite uh, appropriate. Um, thank you. Don't take my time. Uh, we calculate that the Recovery Act has actually created anywhere between 1.1 to 1.5 million jobs by the end of September. I'm not satisfied that the job losses are 200,000 uh, rather than 700,000, but I think it's quite great. I'm very worried about the fact that, I, that unemployment is going to be high for many years to come too high. I don't blame that on President Obama. I blame that on the bums that put us in this mess. And you should too. Okay. Uh, now, it's true that the unemployment rate is higher than what the administration said it was going to be. They said if we did the Recovery Act, it was going to only get to 8%. Well, let me mention something. The unemployment rate in March, before the Recovery Act even had an effect, was already 8.5%. Now, I did tell my friends in the White House, that's a silly thing. Don't project like that. You shouldn't do that. You're going to get caught by that. And in fact, they have been hung by their own petard, so to speak. Um, but the fact is that, let me tell you about, uh, what the, it, it, that this is not a policy failure. This is a failure of my profession, economists. If you look at what economists projected right at the time of the election, the blue chip forecast, 
and, and look at that same period I told you about, the nine months that includes the last half of last year and the first three months of this year. Now, they're already halfway through that period. And they were saying that the economy was going to shrink at a 1.5% rate over that nine months period. And it actually shrank by three times that much. So the fact is, what the administration got wrong in its forecast was it didn't have a, a right sense of what things were going to be uh, without the policy. I think they got the policy right. The policy's had a substantial impact. Now, has it solved all our problems? The fact is, I'm not so sure that how much more that could have been done economically. I can darn well tell you that politically, there was not much more on the table that they could get. What was put through the House and was put through the Senate, what was stopped is some people that were in the Senate who are, are known as moderates, which just means they want to do a little bit less than Larry everybody Michelle, else. your time is up. And thank you very much. So here's where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have six debaters, two teams of three, fighting it out over this motion. Obama's economic policies are working effectively. And now on to our fourth debater, Alan Meltzer, who is an economist at Carnegie Mellon University. He is not the liberal member of his team. He is far from it. And if you caught CNBC a few days ago, Alan Meltzer appeared there, and I quote, we have an administration that spends and spends and lies. Ladies and gentlemen, Alan Meltzer. I'm here to talk about the Obama policy, not about apartment house fires. <laughs> the policy has had a mixed result. There's some small positive effects. But there are five reasons for concluding the policies are not working effectively. First, the forecast was that $780 billion would be spent, the maximum unemployment rate would be 8%. Second, it's now 10.2%, continuing to rise. That's a failure. The second is the administration recognition that the policy has failed. If the policy had succeeded, they would not be talking about another stimulus program. It recognizes, that talk recognizes, that the stimulus was not effective, that their policies have so far been very weak. Third, the administration invented something called jobs saved. You can search economic textbooks from now to the end of time. You will not find something called jobs saved. Jobs saved. How do you know if your job is saved? Sure, it was true that if we paid the states to have a smaller deficit, they didn't fire quite so many teachers, but we also shifted the deficit to the federal government with higher future tax rates that are going to have to pay for those over the long term. This administration has failed on the, on the main thing that it needs to do is to tell us how are we going to get out of this mess. The composition of the stimulus is the fourth problem. That was decided in the Congress. It was a mistake by the Obama administration to let it be decided in the Congress because the Congress was interested much more in the redistribute the wealth than it was in seeing jobs and the economy improved. One third of the stimulus went to state and local governments for their deficits. 
That may be good or bad policy, but it has very little stimulus. It simply transfers the deficit from one place to another. Also, a big piece of the stimulus went for a temporary tax cut. We've had lots of evidence on temporary tax cuts. The Bush administration, the Ford administration, the Carter administration, they all tried temporary tax cuts. The economic evidence is temporary tax cuts don't do much. The only major stimulating tax cuts that we've had in the post-war period were the Kennedy-Johnson tax cuts and the Reagan tax cuts. They were permanent tax cuts. People knew that once they got them, they were theirs. <laughs> Finally, fifth, this program is slow off the block. Do you remember shovel-ready projects? Well, only 25% of the dollars for the infrastructure have been spent. <clears throat> Maybe that part of the program will do some good when it gets started, but the economy is in a slow recovery. So that part of the program is hardly a success. Now, the economy has recovered, and the members of the affirmative tell us about how much better things are than they were a year ago. But is that a result of the Obama policy, or is it the natural tendency of the economy when it sinks, when inventories get very low, to be rebuilt? Because that's where a lot of the third quarter improvement came from, the rebuilding of inventories. Very little of it in consumption. <coughs> Most of the recovery in the third quarter came from temporary clunkers and housing. The housing policy is full of corruption. People come in and ask for the $8,000. They send their children because they've already bought a house. They send their children to do it. The Washington Post had a long expose of the corruption in the housing problem. <clears throat> I believe that we have the wrong policy. The problem for the United States for the future, the problem that we are all going to face for a long time to come is that we have a huge debt that a large part of it is owed to foreigners, and it's growing. So you don't have to be an academic economist to figure out that the way we're going to pay for that is to export. And the way to export more would be to invest more and earn our way out of that problem. What the administration is doing is the wrong thing. It's trying to build up consumption. Fortunately, it isn't being very successful. Now, the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, says we have a debt explosion. It's unsustainable. It's headed toward a debt crisis. The Congressional Budget Office says that every 10-point increase, percentage point increase in the debt ratio lowers GDP growth by a quarter percent. This administration is increasing the debt by 50 percentage points. That's a policy failure. The government debt-to-GDP ratio was about 50 percent when the administration took office. The CBO trajectory says it's going to 700 percent. 700 percent is not a point we're going to reach because it's unsustainable. That means we're headed, unless we do something about the exploding debt, we're going to have a crisis. We absorb a considerable part of world saving. That, too, is unsustainable. Why? Well, the Bush drug bill, the Obama health care bill, 
a great many of the things that the Congress does increase the deficit. You can't believe that we're going to cut Medicare by $500 billion in order to get the drug bill passed. But that's what you have to believe if you believe that this administration is going to give you health care without pain. We are on an unsustainable policy, and it's a failed policy. <clears throat> Many years ago, I started to tell people capitalism without failure is like religion without sin. Governor Spitzer is going to talk about that in the context <laughs> in the con in the context in the context of the banking system. Alan Meltzer, your time is up. Thank you. <laughs> Vote no. <laughs> Our motion is Obama's economic policies are working effectively, and our next debater who will be arguing for the motion, Steve Ratner, who has gone through many careers. He began as a journalist. He switched to finance. Good call, by the way. Um, and he recently had uh, the beginning of a political career as a Treasury official. He joined the Obama administration. I'm sorry, he came to the White House, and he um, was given the job of the auto rescue. The GM deal, that's him. The Chrysler deal, that's him. However, he does not like the term Carzar, which is too bad because it's very musical. Well, my, my paternal grandparents who were fur peddlers in Moscow would be rather shocked at the idea that I was a czar of any kind. So <laughs> I, um, I will. Uh, I don't have anything to follow Alan Meltzer's last remark, I'm afraid. Um, but I, I was struck listening to the first two speakers from the other side. I feel a little bit like Goldilocks. I heard one speaker say that we in the Obama administration were too hot, and I heard one sort of imply we were too cold, and that makes me think we got it about right. Um, all kidding aside, I actually do want to make a serious point, uh, and with all due respect to the first two speakers from the other side, I want to try to, uh, to take the ethereal world of theory and connect it to the real world of politics because I heard a few things that kind of that did strike me. I heard, uh, I heard Jamie say, Congress must provide more resources. We must resolve the toxic banks. We can't let it uh, be decided by Congress. Well, who else decides things besides Congress? We have to stop the displacement of people from their homes. I mean, these are all wonderful phrases, but this is, uh, as I found in my six months in Washington, not how the world works. As Rahm Emanuel said the other day, uh, it's fine to imagine yourself sitting under a shady tree at the Aspen Institute thinking of great policies, but then eventually you have to c come to grips with the real world and deal with it. So you can say, people can say our stimulus program was not enough, but the fact is, as, uh, as Larry said just at the end of his remarks, uh, it was all Congress was going to pass. There was no more there. It took every ounce of political muscle that the administration have to get that. You can say it was too much, but I think, uh, as Larry Summers has said many times, when you are facing a potential disaster, you err on the side of doing more, not less, and they did as much as was possible. So I just want to try to, again, connect back to this sort of real world of politics and of getting things done that was really one of the, uh, the biggest surprises that I found coming to Washington. We may all talk about the president and say it's the president's decision, the president recommends this, the president does that, but there is a little thing called Congress that has to be dealt with as well, and that becomes a series of gives and takes and judgments. And so when Jamie Galbraith says, all Obama did was two things, the stimulus program and uh, the low interest rates, which actually wasn't even Obama, that was the Federal Reserve, that's really not fair. I think the Obama administration, I'm going to talk more about autos in a minute, 
but there's financial regulatory reform which has been put forward, there's energy which has been put forward, there's healthcare which has been put forward, there's housing which has been put forward. All these problems that were unattended to for the last eight years, this administration is trying its hardest to address in a thoughtful, responsible way. Um, let me turn uh, for a minute now to the auto uh, sector as well, because I think my two uh, fellow panelists uh, made very, very coherent and logical and I hope ultimately persuasive cases for why um, the rest of the policy actions that the administration took uh, were thoughtful. And so let me, let me talk for a second about autos, because it was an interesting area. It's one of the few areas where the president actually did have authority. And so if you don't like what the president did on autos, uh, it's fair to blame the administration for that because we didn't have to go to Congress. We had TARP money. We didn't have to deal with the Federal Reserve and the FDIC except in one fairly minor way. We were pretty free to act. And when we showed up, we had a bunch of people from one side of the aisle saying, you've got to let, you've got to let these companies fail. You've got to let the market work. Um, I'm sorry I don't have any quotes from Jamie, but I did see one quote from Alan when I was poking around. Where When Lehman Brothers went out of business, Alan said, no big deal, it's fine, that's the way you should have consequences from capitalism, it's the way it should work. And then a year later, he said Lehman Brothers should have been saved. And so we had a lot of people saying to us, oh, just let the market work. Well, I hope the people who said, let's just let the market work, knew what that would have meant. It would have meant that Chrysler and GM would have shut down by the end of March. It would have meant that hundreds of suppliers would have gone out of business. Uh, they all would have liquidated. It would have meant that Ford would have stopped making cars because they wouldn't have been able to get parts because their suppliers, many of them would have been shut down. And you would have had something like three million people out of work, mostly in the industrial Midwest, right at the end of March, right when the economy was at its worst. So it's fine to say let's let the market work, but again, let's try to connect it back to the real world and what the real world consequences would be of letting that happen. Then you had some people, frankly, on the other side who basically said you can't let these companies go bankrupt. It would be catastrophic. It would be a disaster. Nobody would buy cars. They would eventually liquidate. You can't possibly do that. But President Obama made the decision that we weren't going to simply kick the can down the road, frankly, the way the previous administration had, and we were only going to inject money in the context of a fundamental restructuring that might have to include bankruptcy, which it ultimately did. And we achieved unprecedented sacrifices from all the stakeholders, from the lenders, from the UAW, from the suppliers, from the dealers, from everybody who was affected, came to the table, and frankly, with a, a fair amount of muscle from the administration, uh, participated in this restructuring. And the result of that was that today General Motors announced their earnings. They're still losing money, but their performance was wildly better than anybody would have guessed. They have $42 billion of cash in the bank at the moment, and they are performing well ahead of the expectations that we had. They're out of bankruptcy. Chrysler's out of bankruptcy in alliance with Fiat. So I think it is a very uh, vivid example of a place where we got, uh, we weren't too hot, we weren't too cold, we were very pragmatic. We, addressed the problem, we focused on it, and we tried to come up with the best solution for all concerned. And I think that that exercise, which I was proud to be a small part of, was emblematic of the approach that this administration has taken. Uh, Tim Geithner and Larry Summers, the two principal economic policy makers, have strong views of principle, but they are experienced, they are pragmatic, they know how to get things done, they are balanced, and they are very thoughtful. And I think that the approach that they've taken uh, throughout this process has been enormously positive and has led to all the things that you heard 
uh, Larry and Mark talk about in terms of bringing this country back from the abyss, bringing us back from a depression, and getting us started down the road. Of course, uh, I think it was, I forget who on the other side said 47% of people think the economy is the most important issue. Of course it's the most important issue. But that doesn't mean we haven't made good progress. That doesn't mean that disaster hasn't been inverted and those green shoots that people talk about have begun to sprout. So I was very uh, proud to be a part of that and I would simply say to you, would you prefer this administration or the last administration or some other administration? Because I think this administration has done awfully well. Thank you, Stephen Ratner. Our motion is Obama's economic policies are working effectively, and here to, as our final speaker, to argue against the motion, Elliot Spitzer, the former Attorney General and Governor of New York, a man whose career has been marked much in headlines, some that were favorable, some that were not. He is, however, at this point in the media himself, having become a financial columnist for Slate. And I want to point out to our audience that when this debate was conceived, Elliot was actually going to argue the other side. He was going to say the economic policies are working effectively. He has switched sides now. And Elliot, I hope in your opening remarks you address the basic question, what's that all about? Sure. Well, that, that, that was not the proposition, but thank you. First, even before I do that, John, let me just thank uh, Alan Meltzer. If I follow his logic, I have found religion. <laughs> the, 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 short answer, the short answer to, uh, to your question is that I read Mark's testimony. I was going to say, Mark, thank you very much. Uh, we were on the same side, and then I read his very persuasive testimony that he provided, uh, testified for Congress a few weeks ago, and he goes through point by point, and I'll get to it in a moment, the, the terror that we are facing and, and how treacherous the, the shoals are that we are going to uh, run up against in very short order economically. And I said, my goodness, this is not working at all. And so, Mark, thank you for persuading me. I will distribute it at the end of the day. And you can all be, I think you will vote our side once you have read Mark's testimony. I'm sure, I'm sure you will next time around. Let, let, me, let, let me also say very clearly that the Obama administration's economic policies, in my mind, stand for continuity you can believe in. We are still giving away vast sums of money to the same people with the same result. So the bank profits are way up, unemployment is up, investment is not increasing, consumption is not increasing, and we are not seeing any of the wise transformation in the fundamental structure of our economy that this crisis calls for. We all remember, we all remember Rahm Emanuel's often cited statement, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Indeed it is. This crisis is the rare opportunity that we have to change the direction of our economy, an economy that has been sliding in the wrong direction for many years. On that proposition, we would all agree. And I think that uh, Larry used a very prescient metaphor of, a, of an apartment house that is burning down, and he would say that the Obama administration came with fire hoses blazing and put out half of the fire. Our perspective is they didn't call the fire brigade from the next county that they didn't say, what can we do to stop the fire? What can we do from the air? How can we add other fire retardants to turn this off and make sure that there is not a fire next time around? That is what we have to do. That failure structurally is what we are talking about. Let's deal with numbers just for a moment. And these are numbers from Mark's testimony. They are there out in the, uh, online, of course. These are irrefutable numbers. Unemployment up to 17.5%, 26 million people increasing at the rate of several hundred thousand per month. Yes, the 700,000 a month, that was when we were in free fall. Right now, we are still in free fall, 200,000. There is not any affirmative news on the job front, and I will get to the General Motors in a moment in terms of what they stand for in terms of jobs. Foreclosures, 
Foreclosures are getting worse, not better. Your testimony, and we all agree, 2010 will be worse than 29, which was worse than 2008. Why? Adjustable rate mortgages are going to reset next year. Fewer and fewer homeowners will be able to afford to make their mortgage payments. That crisis continues unabated. And one of the things the Obama administration did not do that it should have done was push for the legislative power to give judges the power to reform mortgages in the bankruptcy context. I, at that point when I saw that, I said, how could they not do this? It is fundamental. It is necessary. It is right. It would help the middle class that we supposedly care about most fundamentally. The number, by the way, foreclosures are up 23% this year over last year, and it will get worse. Commercial real estate, we care about it less, other than as it affects the, the, the banking community. You and your testimony say hundreds of banks will go bankrupt next year as a result of their mortgage, the mortgages in the commercial real estate sector that simply cannot be refinanced, grossly undervalued, still accounting gimmicks there left, right, and center. We have not faced up to it. It will be a disaster. Credit markets are, credit markets are dysfunctional. Your word. We all agree with it. Credit markets are dysfunctional. Small, medium-sized businesses cannot borrow, simply cannot borrow, even though we have given trillions of dollars to the mega banks that came crawling to Washington saying, please, 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 we can't pay our bonuses. State and local governments, <laughs> we won't even get into, because I only have 252 left, the AIG conduit payments to Goldman, the 12.9 billion, 100% on the counterparty payments, absolutely outrageous. Tim Geithner must explain this to the American public. Absolutely outrageous. State and local governments will be going bankrupt. They are down 10, 15 percent in their revenues. We have handled it for one year. They will go over a precipice next year. That will lead to the full-time shutdown of school districts, fire districts, community services. That is where we are seeing it because property values will plummet, property revenues will plummet, sales tax revenue, real estate revenues all dramatically down. General Motors today, Steve, you're right, GM had better numbers. Today, third quarter, they only lost $1.12 billion. Congratulations, we're on the road to recovery. Let me tell you something. Do you know where they saw signs of improvement? They're China subsidiaries. Look, disaggregate the numbers, really read what happened. China sales are up 20, 30, 40 percent, first quarter to third quarter. Sales in the U.S. down. Next year's market, they had been presuming under your plan, 12.5 million auto sales next year, calendar year 2010, 2010 in the U.S. economy, downgraded to 11 today. Think about that, what that means. They will not survive. Chrysler will probably go over the cliff as well. They're going to be selling fiats. That's their business model. It won't work. Let's be real about this. Manufacturing jobs. We are losing. We have lost a third of our manufacturing jobs in the last decade. They do not come back ever. You look month after month over the last decade, good times and bad, they do not come back. It is worse now than it's ever been. That is the core of our economy. We can, cannot all be lawyers and investment bankers. We need clients. The clients are all gone. It doesn't work. The fundamental error of this administration is that it is continuity. They have embraced the Bush administration view that if you solve the problem of big banks, everything else flows from that. They are wrong. Too big to fail is too big. They don't get it. The only two people I know who don't appreciate that are Tim Geithner and Larry Summers. Paul Volcker, Alan Greenspan, Henry Kaufman, Mervyn King, every major academic has said we must get rid of too big to fail. They refuse to cross that threshold. Until they do, we will not reform the financial services sector, and that is where they have focused to the exclusion of virtually the entire rest of the economy. They do not appreciate 
the power they had. They do not know how to negotiate for the fundamental change. We've been involved in what I call a regulatory charade, pretending the problem was lack of power in the regulators. They had the power. They chose not to use it. Who were those regulators? The same folks we're now promoting and sitting there making these misguided policies. It's time for more fundamental change. Call in the fire brigade from the next counter. Let's put out the fire. Thank you very much. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where the motion being argued, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. And as you recall, at the beginning of the evening, we asked you to vote on whether you agree or disagree with the motion. And we now have the results from our live audience. Before the debate, the motion being Obama's economic policies are working effectively. Before the debate, 32% of you are for the motion, 29% against and 39% undecided. That is where things started. You will vote again at the conclusion, and the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. Now on to round two. It's our middle round, and this is the round where the debaters go more head-to-head. -head. They'll be taking questions from you, the audience, and from myself as well, and I would like to start by lifting something from what Elliot Spitzer just said. He, he came up with five words that more or less sum up their position. We are still in free fall. Is it true? Anybody on the team arguing for? I'll take a crack at it. Um, no. Uh, in a word. Uh, do you remember back a year ago? Do you remember? That's free fall. That's when uh, we were panicked. Uh, when there was uh, runs on major banking institutions, uh, Wachovia, uh, Washington Mutual. You were afraid to keep your money in your bank. Uh, stock market was in uh, complete free fall. Housing values were falling 5, 10, 15 percent. Um, we were losing 700,000 jobs per month. Uh, that's free fall. Today, uh, we've got stability. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the policies aren't magic. They can't work uh, overnight in a matter of a few months. Uh, but look where we are today. Think about the counterfactual. Think about what the world would look like without these policy responses. In, in my strong opinion, we averted what would have been another depression. Yes, this was a very severe recession, uh, but we averted a depression. So no, we're not in free fall. We're, I, we're I'd stable. like to ask the audience, to, but with a show of applause, whether, whether you find that point convincing. Are we? And, and, and now to the, response, to the response from Elliot Spitzer. Well, let me frame it this way for you, Mark. What, there is the easy decision, which is to spend a ton of money. We needed to do that. We all knew we would. I don't think it mattered who the president was. And thankfully, obviously, uh, I am a fervent uh, supporter of the president. We were going to spend a huge sum of money. There are Elliot, I just want to encourage you to get a little closer to your mic. I'm sorry. The, 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 there are three questions that follow that actually matter. Spending the money is the premise. The first question is who pays for it? And it's not so obvious that it needs to be exclusively the taxpayers as opposed to those who are equity debt holders and indeed the former executives of the companies, even though that would be a small number numerically, nonetheless symbolically important. So who pays? And we've gotten it wrong in that regard. We have not gotten debt and equity to kick in sufficiently. Two, what reform do you get for the money you're spending? Because rebuilding the same facade, the same edifice that's been broken will not get us anywhere. And the 
The primary grievance that I have with this administration is that we are spending the money rebuilding the same structures, the same decision-making process that got us to where we are right now. And third, job creation is the most important metric That's out fourth, there. That's fourth, Elliot. Fourth. Great. You're an economist. I was, I, I was in political yeah. science. We can, yeah. Usually we want to count yeah. higher. Don't fudge now. Don't no, no, fudge. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Mark, we had, we had a premise in three questions. All right. Let me bring in Larry Michelle. So, Larry, what, what's your lawyer's response to what you just heard? But job, job creation. Let me, let me bring in Larry Michelle. Sure. Well, I, I really think it's worth keeping two things separate. One is the whole financial market issue, which is primarily the motivation of what you're talking about, Elliot, talking about spending. And then there's the question of uh, job, jobs and the Recovery Act. And it seems to me that. Um, there was nothing foreordained that anyone who got elected was going to actually do what was done and put together a nearly $800 billion uh, package uh, to go through Congress that would have been able to get it through Congress. Uh, and that was going to be able to uh, move the needle as much as the needle has been moved. Not that we're to be satisfied. I mean, you know, this is the, uh, my friends uh, my, uh, uh, that are, are fellow liberals uh, Jamie and Elliot are basically arguing against the excellent as the enemy of the very, very good. Uh, and that is, in my mind, uh, you know, just not really, uh, and especially to have uh, a former elected official do that just seems otherworldly to me, uh, tell you the truth. Uh, you know, I, I'm a close observer of Washington. I watched what the so-called moderates did in the Senate to that uh, stimulus bill. They took out uh, a substantial amount of aid to the states. They took out uh, a school modernization program that last summer uh, could have actually uh, done, uh, rebuilt a lot of schools, created a lot of jobs, and they stuck in there something that was going to be done anyway, which is the AMT relief, which is basically tax relief for uh, wealthy uh, income taxpayers. That, in, in effect, uh, you know, is, is proof positive that, uh, you know, they got as much as they could out of the political system. If you wanted to get more, you had to have a different Congress. I don't think there was a different political strategy. I can, I can, I can pick. All right, let, let me bring in Jamie. The question oh, before the House is not whether, in the very difficult political environment, the president's team did as much as they could. The, the question before the House is: Are the policies working effectively? That's a question about the economy and not about the politics. Let's look at where we are. Let's try to come to grips with the scale of the disaster. What has happened here is that the financial wealth of the American middle class in their houses and in their 401ks and their bank accounts built up over six or seven decades is largely evaporated. It's a colossal disaster. People who thought they were going to retire on their home equity aren't going to have it. For, uh, uh, delinquency rates in the state of Florida are over 20%. Foreclosures over 10%. This is an incredible thing. If we think now how many jobs we need to get back to where to fill the hole, by 2011 it's more than 500,000 jobs a month. If something that hasn't happened since 1950-51, if we want to do it over five years, it's three million jobs over the course of each single year, something that I don't believe has ever been achieved. If we're going to deal with the problem we have, we have to think about the scale of policy, scale of policy that goes well beyond what the political environment in Washington is prepared to deal with. 
and we have to persuade it to change. Otherwise, we are not going to solve these so problems. So let, let me bring that back to Stephen Ratner, who's arguing for the motion that policies are working. And, and Stephen, I mean, that's an argument that, that uh, they're, they're conceding the rescue succeeded. The canoe did not go off the cliff. But they're saying going forward, it, that does not solve where we need to get to. Well, I don't think any of us would disagree with that. Uh, I think without getting into a big semantic debate over the question, if the question were, is the economy in a happy place, we'd all be on one side of the table. The question, in, a, in effect, in my mind is, is, has Obama put forward and tried to implement policies that will have a positive effect on the economy and move it in the right direction? And I think, I hope we've all made a very clear, convincing case that it has uh, and will. Nobody would disagree. You guys are great at giving us a litany of what's wrong. Elliot, you gave us six minutes and 45 seconds of what's wrong with the economy, and I only heard one or two suggestions for what to actually do about it. I don't know what your suggestion is about General Motors. Is it to let it to go bankrupt and have a couple million people out of jobs? I don't know what your suggestion is about Goldman Sachs and the derivatives contracts. I don't like it any better than you do. Would you like the financial system to melt down the way Lehman Brothers did? I don't know what your suggestion is about how to fix regulatory reform which uh, the administration has put forward a proposal, which is admired in all the congressional politics around it. And I guess I'm surprised because you were governor. You know what it's like up there. You, were the, you showed up in Albany and said, day one, everything changes. And it didn't because you had the legislature. Well, let me, let, let me I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I would have done. It may take more than two minutes, but I'll, I'll limit it. In terms of cars, I would have said, no, we're not going to just give billions of dollars to a shell of a company. We will say we will buy 500,000 battery-powered cars two years from now from whatever domestic producer. I don't care whether it's GM, Hyundai, Kia. Produce it here, 80 percent produced domestically. We want to stimulate that type of productivity. That is, that is and, no, no, no. And we will, and we will build the, the electric recharging stations to, akin to what Eisenhower did on, on the interstate system. Build a new infrastructure. Create, take the money. Take the money that we gave to Goldman, instead of saying, here it is, $12.9 use it to create Fields Roten's infrastructure bank. That is what we need. That's where the dollars should have gone. The dollars could have been used in many different ways. Instead, when we made these enormous transfers, based upon nothing more than the say-so that we need it, which they didn't, because they've said they didn't have any exposure to the AIG-CDS uh, situation, they were fully hedged, we didn't ask for anything back. It was the failure to, failure to ask for anything back that was fundamentally wrong, and that is why we are left with the same system we had before. But let me ask Alan Meltzer. Are, aren't we, are we not better off with, with AGM in some form rather than no General Motors? Alan, Alan, are we not better off having a, some form <laughs> of General Motors and people working there than no General Motors? I'm with Elliot. We, what the country needs in a more general sense, not just confined to automobiles, what the country needs to do is think about the enormous debt that it owes to foreigners and how it's going to pay them without bankrupting the country. And the, the only answer that exists is you have to export. We have to export. And in order to do that, we have to invest. And the right program was an investment program, not a consumption program, not a bailout program. That was a mistake. Now, they want to say the administration was great in pushing this program. The administration made a mistake of letting the Congress write that program. So instead of writing an, a, pro, a program that the United States needs to solve its long-term problem, the problems that you and I and everyone else is going to face for the next 10 or 20 years is how to handle that debt, how to get our exports up, how to get our consumption down, not how to get our consumption up. That was a fundamental mistake. The administration made that mistake. 
It should never have made that mistake because Larry Summers certainly should have known that the problem we're going to have is how to finance that debt with more exports, and that's going to require greater investment. And one of those investments is the kind of investment that Ellie was talking okay, about. Okay, I want to come back to Mark. I want to come back to you, but I want to ask you to hold for just a minute. We're going to come back to Mark Sandy, but I want to, at this point, get you ready to uh, turn this over to you for questions. Uh, reminding you of a couple of things. When the microphone, what we, we have ushers with microphones. If you raise your hands and I spot you, um, I'll signal that it's for you. The microphone will come to you. I'm asking you to rise. If you're a member of the news media, we ask you to identify yourself. And I want to remind you when you hold the microphone to hold it about one fist's way uh, distance from your mouth so that we can hear you. And the last thing is please ask a question. Um, we don't want speeches, and we are not asking you to debate with the debaters because we already have six, and that's enough. <laughs> Mark Sandy, to respond. Uh, well, just a fact, uh, one fact, and then uh, two responses. Uh, just another statistic. Uh, uh, household net worth, that's the value of uh, all the things that we owe less all the things that we owe. This is our, our net worth. Uh, it declined by $15 trillion between the peak in 07 Q3 through the bottom in uh, 08 Q4, uh, $15 trillion. And just to give you context, there's about $60 trillion worth. At the peak, there was about $60 trillion in household net worth. Since the beginning of the year, since uh, the administration's uh, uh, inauguration, uh, household net worth has risen by $5 trillion, $5 trillion. So that, that obviously reflects the improvement in the equity market, stock prices, at least as measured by the S&P 500, is up, I didn't look today, but it's up somewhere between 25 and 3 percent since he was uh, brought into office. And housing values have started to rise. Uh, they, they fell sharply through the beginning of the year, down 30 percent from the peak, and now they've begun to rise. So uh, to me, that's a very important statistic because that's our net worth. Now, two quick responses. One with, with respect to the deficit, I think this is a legitimate concern. Obviously, it is a critical concern that, uh, you know, we had a $1.4 trillion deficit, a 10% of GDP in fiscal year 09, and we're going to run a $1.2 trillion deficit at least in the current fiscal year. These are big numbers. But, you know, this was a Hobson's choice for us. Uh, it really was no choice. Uh, if, if the policymakers did not respond aggressively to this and use the resources, uh, the economy would still be in recession, the financial system would be in disarray, and the cost of taxpayers is measurably greater, measurably greater. The deficits would be larger than they are. So we really had no choice in this. And I think, uh, as a result, the deficits are, are, are uh, something that uh, are the result of this. Now, finally, one other response. You know, uh, in the efforts to shore up the financial system and the auto sector and other parts of the economy, we did get something. We got equity uh, in a lot of these companies. And today, GM said, that they're going to begin repaying the loan that we made to them well before plan. And in fact, I, here's a, a prediction. This is what I do for a living. I predict that at the end of the day, we are going to get most of that money back, if not all of it. And in fact, uh, many of the banks have repaid a lot of the loans, uh, capital we took into the institutions, and we've made money on that. So at the, when this is all said and done, and over and done with, uh, this, the cost will be measurably greater. And, and that's because we did get something when we did uh, help them okay. get through this period. Can I, no, I actually want to go to questions okay. at this point. Thank you. Um, the man with the white card, it was a very good way to get my attention. It's not going to work again. 
I saw somebody else use it last time I was here. First, let me say thank you to the group in the front. Let me say thank you to the group in the audience. This is what New York City is all about. And the question I have for you is this. How long will it take to put solar energy on those buildings that are sitting in back of you? How long will it take for the green economy to get moving? How long will it take for us in America to get off the backs of oil and to do for ourselves? How long will it take? You're the economists. You're the predictors. I see it in where I'm at. So I let me, see it let me, every let day. Me ask you, let me ask you how you would phrase this question in terms of our motion. I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to you. How would you phrase this question? How would you relate this question to our motion, whether Obama's policies are working effectively? And if you can't, I'm going to have to pass. I, I, I could do that, sir. And okay. I'll do it very quickly. My question is this. It takes a long time to get the ship out of the mud, as a sailor I know. We're stuck in the mud here. How long do we feel it'll take for the green economy to take effect? Good Thank question. Uh, Jamie, Jamie Galbraith. One of the misfires at the start of this process was the idea that you could handle the problem with a stimulus package that would work in a relatively short period of time, over a year or two. It's not going to work that way. In order to get out of this, we are going to need to set a strategic direction for the economy and build institutions and programs capable of mounting a sustained effort over 10, 15, 20 years. And the direction that we need to take is clearly in the line that you just indicated, in the line of dealing with our energy problem, dealing with climate change, creating green jobs so that people have work to do that is useful for the country. Those are institutional challenges that are on a par with the creation of the middle class in the New Deal in the post-war uh, era, and it's just nothing short of that. We need to be articulating, visualizing, and acting uh, on that scale and over that time frame, in my view. Larry Michelle, on arguing for the motion. I'm yielding, I yield to Steve. We, Steve Ratner, arguing here, for so the motion. My buddy Steve. My buddy Larry. Um, <laughs> we've never agreed on anything before. No, I'm kidding. We're um, not seeing that on the other team, exactly. <laughs> uh, look, I want to wrap this back to this whole idea about cars and everything. The green economy is an important part of the future, but I think Jamie and I might even agree on this, but it is the longer-term future. And the Obama administration, I would argue, has all kinds of proposals that it is pushing vigorously to implement a green economy. But we are kidding ourselves if we think the green economy is the solution to our immediate economic problems. We are kidding ourselves if we think we could have let General Motors go bankrupt and built 500 whatever it was that you said you wanted to build um, in its place, and that would employ the, the million people who would have lost their jobs if, if um, General Steve, Motors Steve, I've moved past it. that point to try and make a, a broader but, point. No, about let, let, me let, let me let Steve finish. Uh, Steve, were you finished? Not quite. Okay. Um, <laughs> the Department of Energy, uh, which was passed under the previous administration, actually has a $25 billion loan program for advanced uh, electrification, other uh, new technology type of vehicles, a loan program. I would be curious to know if that's the kind of program that Alan Meltzer would endorse as part of his belief in investment or whether he thinks that's another government sort of giveaway boondoggle thing. Jamie Galbraith. I've made my point. Go ahead. Oh, who was next? I thought. I believe Alan Meltzer. Transformation of the economy is the right thing to do, and that's what we should have done. That the mistake was to allow the Congress to enact a what was largely a redistributive program <clears throat> instead of enacting a program which was in the long-term interest of the United States. The United States is at a crucial point. We are facing a crisis. There's a new book out that I commend to everybody. It isn't my book, so I can commend it. <laughs> it's by Reinhardt and Rogoff. It traces crises since 1300, especially since 1800 
I read the book and read the newspaper. It's hard to know when you're reading the book and when you're reading the newspaper. Big debts, bailing out the banking system. We are headed for a crisis. So we have to use our resources more wisely. This is the 12th recession in the post-war period. All the others we recovered from quickly. No one with any sense or knowledge believes we're going to recover quickly from this one. That's a failure of the policies that this administration has accepted from the Congress and is endorsing and pushing on you. Thank you. Uh, woman in the fourth row, and Elliot, I see you champing at the bit to get in on this, so I'm going to let you take this question if it's relevant to you, but you must answer this question. <laughs> um, the question is, at what point do we think the financial uh, services and the whole banking system needs a, uh, a reform? Is at what point does it need a reform? Does it need a reform? Um, and, and in, in that regard, also another question. Once the government is no, it's no longer throwing money at, at, at the issues, what is going to happen? There is a sentiment that next year could be a double dip. What is Elliot, why don't you take the first question? I, I don't want to get into a prediction yet about a double dip. I think that, on the other hand, I will say this, that the data that we see is not encouraging in terms of spending. I know that if you take away cars from the current consumer spending today, it was up 0.2%. Inventories are down. All of those are negative data. Your first question, which is the fundamental one, which is how do we begin to reform the financial services sector, that is where the fundamental disagreement that I have with the administration emerges, because they have spent such an enormous amount of effort and capital rebuilding the same edifice, and those funds could have been used. Steve, this is where we disagree. Of course we needed to preserve General Motors, but what we also needed to do was invest and I agree. I think we, most of us would agree that, yes, the deficit is a real issue. I would have done the energy investments. I would do more energy investments. Having said that, that, those funds could have been used to confront the mortgage crisis. Those funds could have been used to pay down some of the enormous mortgage overhang that is keeping consumers from being in a position to spend, from requiring the banks that rece received billion, hundreds of billions of dollars in cash, trillions of dollars in loan guarantees, to step forward to reform the mortgages. That would have a fundamental impact on the state of our economy in terms of consumer spending, home net worth, and the net worth of the families that we are caring about. Instead, we simply gave the cash to these banks, and where it is going is, to a great extent, proprietary trading, overseas investment, all of which is economically worthwhile for them, but not for the totality of our gross domestic so, product. And Mark said, that the, 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 the point, Elliot, is the, uh, Elliot is saying that the, 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 the policy has rebuilt a machine that broke, once, rather than figuring out a new design for a machine. Well, the financial services industry wouldn't agree with that. They're fighting financial regulatory reform very uh, strongly. Uh, they feel that uh, these efforts aren't uh, in their best interest. So I, I don't think they would agree uh, with that position. And actually, it is well, quite substantive, the reform that is making its way through Congress. You know, there, there is a lot of debate, but uh, you know, broadly speaking, a number of things are going to come out of this. First, the number of regulators that oversee the, the financial system will be rationalized. One of the problems we had in the previous regulatory structure was that there was just too many regulators and financial institutions could shop for the regulator or avoid regulation altogether. And so there, there's an effort to uh, address that. There's also an effort to uh, uh, fashion a systemic risk regulator that can look across the entire financial system. Another problem we had in this current financial crisis is that uh, uh, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury did not have the ability 
to quickly resolve cases like Lehman Brothers, which were not bank holding companies at the time. And then third, also very important, uh, the effort to establish a consumer financial protection agency. The idea is establishing an FDA for financial products because I think it's clear from the crisis that many people who got loans really did not understand the loans that they were getting and that, cr of course, created a problem. So, uh, and I'm, I'm just, I'm quickly summarizing for you, but uh, the scope of that the reform- That was about two minutes, actually. Is, yeah, sorry, <laughs> is very significant and uh, the system will be very different uh, at the other end of this. Let's, um, yes. have, 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 sorry. Well, let me, let me talk, talk about- Alan, Let me give it to Ellen Meltzer. The administration, this administration, as trying to do something about the banking system, the financial system, is laughable. What they're doing is putting it back where it was. Only it's bigger now because there have been more mergers. We have, for 30 years, through various administrations, had too big to fail. Too big to fail is not something that just came with history. It came from the 1970s and it grew and grew and grew. Now what is too big to fail? It is a system in which the bankers make the profits and you, the citizens, take the losses. That's not a good system. The Federal Reserve... <laughs> it's not good for you and it's not good for the country. And the reason is because it encourages risk-taking, excessive risk-taking by some bankers. Not all bankers, but by some bankers. Steve Ratner, respond. And then we bail them out. Steve Ratner, respond. One minute. <clears throat> the, what you want to put into the Alan, system. Alan, Alan, I just want to get some other voices into it. Steve Ratner, I just, I'll make a couple of very quick points. And I don't want to be uh, uh, an apologist for the financial services industry, even though I spent 26 reasonably happy years in it. But, but I was not at a, a TARP bank. I was not at Goldman Sachs. Let me just say a couple quick things. First, to say that nobody in the financial system has suffered any pain. Uh, you should ask the people who worked at Lehman Brothers. You should ask the people who work at Citigroup. You should ask the people who worked at Wachovia. Uh, they, most of them had huge amounts of their net worth in those firms. Ask people who didn't get bonuses last year. Goldman Sachs is Goldman Sachs, but a lot of people in the financial services industry took a lot of pain. The that second the issue. It's the public that's taking the big losses. Well, no, 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 no. No, that, 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 is, that is not true uh, because as, as Mark just said, I think when the dust settles, I think you will find that the government actually did pretty well on a lot of these investments. Maybe not AIG, we can debate AIG, but the money they put in to Goldman Sachs and into Morgan Stanley, first of all, was involuntary. Those banks didn't even want the money. The government forced them to take the money because they didn't want the weak banks to stand out. And a lot of them, as Mark said, have already, have already repaid it. And let me just make one last point about uh, about too big, actually two last points. One about too big to fail. Too big to fail, you know, it's not about repealing Glass-Steagall. It's not about saying you can't have more than this amount of assets. Um, many of you here will remember LTCM, which went under 1998, if I remember correctly. Most people never heard of LTCM. It was probably not in the top 50 size of institutions and it almost brought down the entire financial system. I'm all for fixing these problems, but let's do it thoughtfully, not with a meat axe. When said it was the public taking the losses, he didn't mean the government budget. He meant the citizenry of the United States. They're the ones who have taken the losses in this matter, as Mark Sandy already pointed out. The question here is, again, as Elliot has said, do we restore the existing banking system or do we truly reform it? And that means having a system which is more competitive, better run, easier to regulate, 
and led and by a regulatory structure which is effective at monitoring and preventing the kinds of massive frauds, particularly in mortgage origination and in the ratings process and all through the, the, the process that led to this incredible disaster. That requires uh, having enforcement mechanisms that work and going after the perpetrators as was done in the resolution of the savings and loan crisis when, I should remind you, about 1,000 industry insiders were convicted of federal felonies and went to jail. Elliot, I, I want to bring so in a question, so if you, can, I, if you can keep it brief. I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. I would just add this point. We already have a systemic risk regulator. It's called the Fed. They just didn't do their job. The question shouldn't be, do we need no, to pass that's the not, law? That's not true. It, it's true. absolutely that's not wrong. Absolutely not that's true. absolutely the case. It's absolutely not true. Well, well, the Fed well, had no... Well, you know what? The Fed, you ask, you the ask Fed, them whether the through their Fed, monetary policy, the through their control no, of access to the Fed, the Fed window, they no controlled... All right, all right, all right. I see, I, I think I see where we, where we both feel about that. A woman in the second row. Hi, this question is for... I think you might try again, please. It's on now. It is? Okay, sorry. The question is for Steve Radner. I would like you to comment on the status of the dollar today, please. Why me? I, I think it's <laughs> off our point too much. Okay. Um, <laughs> gentlemen, two in, three in, gray jacket. I, um, I hope I don't ramble. I just thought about this while you're talking. You better not ramble. <laughs> I'm trying to make this in two minutes, and I should be thinking no. about this for the past few days. But um, you've already used 19 seconds. Okay. We've talked about how there's some systemic issues out there. We've talked about, you know, um, the finance in instruments out there, the financial sector. We talked peripherally about how the American consumer is um, consuming too much, and I think that's pretty much, a, I think, a issue that's been going on for decades. Where okay, sir, I, 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 please get to a my, question. My, my question is that, um, do you think there is a systematic issue that's being built because of the inequality of wealth out there where the 1% who basically control the, the market, they've never been a capitalist market, it's the 1% that controls the market, there's no transparency. Do you think there's a big issue because there's been a massive, um, there's a massive inequality in wealth distribution in this country, and that's going to create issues. Jamie Galbraith. It bears very closely to the question of an effective economic policy. If you try to re have the economy recover by shoring up those few at the top, it simply isn't going to work. It didn't work in 1929. It's not going to work now. What you have to do is to have a program which effectively provides employment, income, and security to the entire population of the United States. That's where you need to begin. Going about it the other way is simply going about it backwards and doomed not to succeed. Can I weigh in on this? Yes, Larry Michelle. Uh, I absolutely think that the massive inequalities in our nation were the precondition for the crisis that we're in right now. And I believe that the Obama administration's plans actually do address uh, many of the issues, not all the issues going forward, to try to resolve that. Um, Part of it is to develop a, a productive economy based on the, a non-carbon-based economy. Part of it is to ad address changes in our basic labor markets, uh, to have uh, enforced uh, labor laws and the basic uh, uh, wage and hours type things, to be able to restore the right to have unions, to raise the minimum wage. We are, they are also pursuing having universal health care, which is a, a mechanism for distributing income uh, throughout the population and security and to try to do what, what they can to try to get unemployment down as fast as they can, which I think is, in fact, what the policy 
uh, is. So I think that moving forward, uh, building an economy where we're not having growth based on, on, on asset bubbles and consumer debt is really important. And the only way to do that is to have wages growing in line with productivity and to have more economic security. And I think that, uh, you know, if Mr. McCain had been elected, we would be nowhere on that agenda. With Mr. Obama, I think we're around 75 percent on the right track towards that agenda. All right. Ma'am, you asked the question about the dollar. I, I think I was too abrupt, and I apologize. Was, was your question, to, looking at the dollar today, is it, is it an indicator of the success? Is that what you were getting yes, at? Yes, exactly. That's why I wanted um, one of the gentlemen on the panel on the left to Well, answer. you're back in, and I'm sorry about okay. before. Um, well, um, Mark, well, let me let, me, let Mark Zandi uh, okay. take that. Well, I think the, uh, the decline in the dollar that we've observed uh, recently over the last six to uh, nine months is uh, entirely appropriate and uh, actually it's been very orderly, entirely appropriate and a net positive for our economy at least so far. That yes it has resulted in somewhat higher commodity prices and the one commodity that matters the most is the price of oil for all of us. But that negative has been offset by an increase in exports. Uh, a source of growth in our economy uh, it was a very significant negative back in the free fall a year ago, nine months ago, but is now growing again in part because of the better global economy, in part because of the weaker dollar. Also, it's helped corporate profits. Uh, a lot of companies that operate overseas are benefiting from the dollar. So it's a net positive. Now, I do think if, uh, if you uh, look further out and the dollar begins to decline in a disorderly way for whatever reason, that would be a problem. But so far, no problem. Very good. James Gilbreth. Very briefly, I'm not a deficit Cassandra, I'm not a public debt Cassandra, and I'm not a dollar Cassandra. These issues are often used to make the argument that you simply can't do what needs to be done in order to bring the, put the economy back on track and overcome our unemployment crisis, and I don't think they are valid objections. So from that point of view, actually, Mark and I don't have an analytical difference. I would just simply say uh, that the dollar will go where it's going to go, it's not going, the international monetary system will probably not collapse, and certainly not as the result of an effective effort to restore the American economy. Gentleman in the center. Yes, I think very few people here would disagree that there's more that should be done in terms of correcting the systemic problems that exist in this country. The question before the group, though, is whether Obama's policies are working effectively, which brings us back to the problem of dealing with Congress where you have many people, when you talk about you know, m making more green jobs, you have many people in Congress, far too many, who deny that global warming is even a problem. We have people who are in Congress. I, I need you to get to a question now. The question is, what would the panelists do to try to implement the change that they're talking about dealing with the Congress we presently have? Steve, Steve Ratner, you, you described, you described what, what passed as almost a miracle. Uh, because of the Congress, because of Congress, and because of I'm the sorry, what was you described the fact that the stimulus package passed as yeah, as it was in itself a, a, a rare my, miracle. I think this is, in all seriousness, a, a huge issue for the country to think about. And uh, you know, there's this great quote of Jefferson's where he says, "If I had to choose between a, a government without newspapers and newspapers without a government, I would choose newspapers without a government." And I say that not because I'm advocating newspapers, but the whole concept when you get to Washington of realizing what Jefferson had in mind when he designed or was part of designing our system. The Capitol is on the Hill, the White House is down at the bottom. Article one of the Constitution is the Congress, it's not the executive branch. The power that the Congress has is, is formidable and it, it was created in an era where we weren't going to be dealing with 
uh, with toxic assets, and we weren't going to be dealing with regulatory reform. We weren't going to be dealing with green jobs. And it's a real problem. I, I, I think, as I've tried to argue, that I think President Obama has done as effective a job as humanly possible in, pro in promoting a responsible agenda through Congress. But if you take something like reg reform, or financial regulatory reform, not to use the jargon, it is mired in a series of intra-congressional uh, jurisdictional disputes over who would be in charge of this agency or that agency if you happen to pass something. It is a, it is a very broken system. Elliot Spitzer. Steve, we agree about the merits or demerits of legislative branches. I think we would agree on that point clearly. <laughs> having said that, <laughs> having said that, the question is what role does the executive play in defining the parameters of the debate? When it comes to regulatory reform as it relates to financial services, the president did not strike a position, did not articulate a position that said very clearly, here's where we must go, which is what FDR did. FDR rewrote the rule book. This president, unfortunately, embraced the existing rule structure, moved jurisdiction around marginally without saying the fundamental predicate of the issue, too big to fail, must shift. He hasn't yet done that. Let me switch gears since you raised the metaphor of Albany. When we went to Albany, I did, in fact, on health care fundamentally go to war with the entrenched interests about how health care would be delivered. We had an enormous battle, and we bent that curve in a very significant way. You can do it. It's a question of articulating, drawing lines in the sand. You won't win everything. The president has been admirable in many respects, but when it came to financial services in particular, he did not embrace the fundamental change that was needed. Mr. Jensen, can you be brief, Alan? Brief. Very brief. Leadership consists of getting people to do the things that they don't want to do. It, it doesn't consist of blaming the Congress and blaming past administrations for problems that were there when we came in. Gentleman with the yellow shirt in the dead center of the room. Larry touched on this uh, earlier. It would seem to me that uh, if you're talking about Obama's policies, you have to talk about not only the legislation that has been passed, but what is proposed, uh, a small business, and, and that would be including healthcare, which is being debated now, a cap and trade legislation, the expiration of the, of the tax cuts, the Bush tax cuts, and labor law uh, changes, including um, uh, uh, a card check and uh, it, it, uh, the way you would adjudicate disputes between labor and management. Uh, small business is going to be. I need you to ask a question, sir. Does anybody think this is going to have any impact, the overhang of these things on the creation of jobs going forward, the uncertainties created and the costs involved? Larry Michelle. Well, I think that these kinds of policies are exactly what's needed to kind of to build the economy we need to come out of this recovery. We need an economy which provides broadly shared prosperity. This is something that we haven't had uh, in 30 years. Uh, prior to 2007, the prior uh, 20 years or so, you know, some 56% of all the income gains went to the upper 1%. That is not acceptable. It is also the predicate to the kind of crisis that we've had because we can only have a, 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 a robustly growing economy that's sustainable if people are able to earn good wages and be able to spend based on those wages without going to debt or relying on asset bubbles. So I do think yeah, I mean, I think small business ideology says that these are not going to be good for them. But in fact, it will be good for them because it's going to create a, a, a robust consumer economy that's going to create a lot of different jobs and that's going to start benefiting everybody for once and for all. Jamie Galbraith. Well, I support health care reform. I support a strong energy and climate program. 
I support financial reform considerably stronger than the administration is proposing. I don't think anybody argues, I don't think the president argues that those three things amount to an economic recovery program sufficient to create, let's say, three million jobs a year over five years. It's not even close. That's the issue that's before us. Have we done enough? Are we doing enough to deal with the problem that the population of the United States faces? The answer to that question is no. I would just add very quickly one footnote to that. It's perhaps not a footnote. Credit to small business is where we are stumbling most dramatically. You cannot get loans if you're a small business uh, owner or, or entrepreneur. The reason for that is that all the capital went to the mega banks, and what they're doing with it does not permit small businesses to grow. That is the egregious macro error that the administration's making. And that concludes round two of our debate. And here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater, two minutes each, and it's their last chance to change your minds. And as we said all along, this is a debate of persuasion. You have been asked to vote before the debate began. You'll be asked to vote again after the debate. The team that changes the most minds will be declared the winner. And to remind you of the results of the preliminary vote, our motion is Obama's economic policies are working effectively. 32% of you are for this motion. 29% of you are against, and 39% are undecided. You'll be asked to vote one more time, and that will decide our winner just a few minutes from now. But first, round three, closing statements. We're going to begin with Jamie Galbra James Galbraith, economist and professor of government and business relations at the University of Texas at Austin's School of Public Affairs. Our side in this debate has presented an emphatic call for action. The other side has asked you to accept excuses. Excuses for the inadequacy of action so far. Maybe a little unfair, but I know that tomorrow morning the Economic Policy Institute is going to issue with a broad coalition a major call for action. It's exactly what we need to deal with the gap in action to date. Yes, the Congress is an obstacle. I worked for the Congress for 10 years. I know how difficult it can be. I was there, though, in 1981 when Ronald Reagan rolled the Congress. And I would like to see once in my professional life, once in my life, for someone on our side to do the same. <laughs> this, this is a dangerous moment. The, cost of inadequacy is extremely high. If the program falls short, then the political situation, the political momentum will be lost. If people see results for the bankers and not for themselves, they see recovery in the stock market but not in the value of their homes, they will turn away from all sensible measures. It will discredit everything the administration is in fact trying to do. Can you err by doing too much? The prospect is extremely remote, and if you did, you could always pull back. It's exactly the kind of boldness that is needed to confront the situation that we do not have yet and that we can only hope will develop in the next stage of policy of this administration. Thank you, Thank you James Calvert. 
Summarizing for our motion, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. Summarizing for this motion, Mark Zandi, chief economist and co-founder of Moody'sEconomy.com. Yeah, you know, to me, um, I think people lose sight of uh, the severity of the uh, situation that we've been in, the crisis that we've just gone through. Uh, the panic and uh, the Great Recession, it, it truly it is the longest, uh, deepest, broadest-based uh, recession since the Great Depression. There, there's no, all the statistics uh, are very clear on that. And I think uh, the administration has been thrust into this in the middle of it and has been all about trying to bring an end to that crisis, to quell the crisis, to quell the panic, to bring an end to the Great Recession. And here we are, you know, nine months into this administration, and look, um, the panic has been quelled. Uh, yeah, we're still nervous, we're still cautious. We haven't gotten our groove back, but just think where we were. The Great Recession is over. The Great Recession is over. Yet, yeah, it's not fully engaged. Businesses went through near-death experiences. They're not gonna forget that and step out and start hiring immediately, you know. Policy isn't magic. It's not magic, but um, the recession is over and we're moving in the right direction. Now, it's fair to say that we need to do more. Absolutely, you know, but the proposition is, are the Obama administration's economic policies working effectively, working? No one's saying they've worked, that we're done, that this is a work in progress, that the skip script hasn't been written, and the administration has got an, a range of policies that it's put forward, tough policies on difficult issues, things that we haven't been able to address, health care, financial regulatory reform, energy policy, tax reform, a budget deficit that's been a problem for many, many years, and look, we're starting to discuss it, and that to me is proof positive that they are working and we're working in the right direction. Thank Th you. Thank you, Mark Zanzi. <laughs> Making his summary statement against the motion, Alan Meltzer, University Professor of Political Economy at Carnegie Mellon. <coughs> The subject is, are we working, is this administration's program working? The forecasts for the future, this is the 12th, I think, recession in the post-war years. We recovered from most of them. Most forecasts for the future say the unemployment rate is going to stay up in the 10 to 11 percent range for a couple of years now. That's not what I call working. The banking system, the financial structure, is unreformed. In addition to that, something we haven't talked about, the administration <coughs> has made threatening moves in the trade area. The World Trade Organization produced the greatest growth in world history. More people in more countries had their living standards raised by larger amounts in the post-war years than at any time in mankind's recorded history. They did that by reducing tariffs. The administration has increased tariffs on tires, steel pipes, next coming coated papers, and other items. China is retaliating by putting restrictions on auto imports. That's a disaster, a bad policy, not a policy that is gonna produce growth in jobs and improvements in the United States. It's a policy which is going to make the world 
poorer. And summarizing for the motion, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. Larry Michelle, president of the Economic Policy Institute. If the future is grim, and I agree with Alan Meltzer that, in fact, there is going to be persistently high unemployment that's unacceptable. Is that the Obama administration's fault? Or is that the fault of the kind of policies that actually Alan himself and conservative allies have advocated for many different years? <laughs> to my liberal friends, you know, I've said that there was a department building on fire and Elliot says, well, maybe there was some fire trucks in the next county that could have actually put out, um, you know, helped put out the fire. In fact, uh, I can tell you that uh, he hasn't named any uh, other county uh, which had the fire trucks and what they would do, or said how they would get around the roadblock of the, 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 the Republican moderates in the, in the Senate that actually blocked uh, an even more effective stimulus that was actually on the table. Uh, in my view, uh, there's been, uh, and I'm, I'm, I have not been uh, an Obama supporter from day one of that campaign. I'm, I'm far from in the bag for the Obama administration. I'm to the left of the Obama administration, okay? <laughs> um, I've been surprisingly pleased, much more pleased than I ever thought I would be by the direction of, of what they did with the recovery program, much larger, well-designed in terms of putting out some uh, money early that got things going, some back-end public investments for energy alternatives, infrastructure, science, training, education, et cetera. I think it's very well-designed and smart. A lot of their other policies are, are directly on target. They're trying to do big, bold things. I'm quite surprised and quite pleased. You should be as well. Summarizing against the motion, Elliot Spitzer, former governor and attorney general of New York. First of all, thank you all. This has been spirited fun, and we probably disagree less than some of the rhetoric tonight would suggest. But let me say this. I'm tired of hearing blame pushed to Republicans in Congress. We as Democrats have a majority in both houses. It's about time we used it. It's about time we stood up and used our majority. It can be done, and we should do it. Let me tell you where the fire trucks are. The fire trucks are the billions, hundreds of billions of dollars that were given to the wrong banks for the wrong reasons that were not used to invest in the infrastructure, to invest in jobs, in mortgage reformation. That could have had a fundamental effect on our economy, and that's what we should have done. The, the fire trucks take the form of not demanding reform of those who receive the money, not making them pay for the benefit of receiving tax dollars in return for a reformed regulatory structure, and the fire trucks take the form of not investing in jobs for the future. I am worried. I think Mark is exactly right. Some of the nervousness is gone. The nervousness is gone primarily because of what the Bush administration did, pushing a lot of money to the banks. That wasn't the Obama administration. But precisely because the nervousness is gone, the moment for the fundamental reform we need is passing. And rather than galvanize that urge for reform, rather than push for the fundamental reform that we need in terms of jobs, investing in education, investing in health care, driving up uh, the, the average wages of workers, the administration is reinvesting in a status quo, primarily a financial services sector, based upon the incorrect, but maybe it's a benign interpretation, the incorrect belief that putting the money there will generate the jobs. As I said, those manufacturing jobs will not come back. General Motors today said they don't anticipate hiring more jobs, more, more workers in the United States. Overseas they will. 
So yes, Steve, we agree, we needed a bailout, but that's not where jobs are coming from. Jobs will come from small, medium business. Banks should lend to them, but the banks that would lend to them don't have the capital, because all the capital went to the mega banks that are not going to lend to them anyway. That was the critical mistake. Thank you all for being here. And finally, summarizing for the motion, Steve Ratner, who led the administration's efforts to restructure the auto industry. So, Elliot, let me see if I have this right. The mistake we made was quenching the fires of the financial crisis, which took away the urgency to do anything about it, so we should restore the financial crisis so there would be some desire to do something about it. Is that right? Use it properly. A crisis is my, a terrible my, thing to waste. Wait a, wait a minute. That I, is really this against is my the rules. There is two minutes. Word without you saying anything. So I want to say that the only systemic authority that the Federal Reserve would have had to bail out Lehman Brothers would have been to bail out Lehman Brothers exactly what you don't want to have happen. So there was no authority to deal with Lehman Brothers. One more comment to you before I leave you alone for a second. Um, this idea that we have, and to Jamie as well, the idea that we have a majority in Congress, yes, we have a majority in Congress, it is very much in name only. We created our uh, political leaders a big tent in order to have those majorities. That tent spans a lot of ideologies. Uh, and it is very difficult to marshal majorities, let alone the 60 votes you need in the Senate where there are two independents, to get something done. And you guys make it sound easy. It is not, it is not easy. You make everything sound easy. You tell us, you know, just wave your magic wand and you'll have financial regulatory reform. It's not that easy. Um, you've also set up a false dichotomy. You've said uh, that you've raised this question of whether or not we should have more action. Of course we should have more action. We all agree that we should have more action. The question is, what is responsible? How do you get it done? and what makes good sense. And I would argue what I said before, I won't repeat it all, that this administration has put forward responsible policies in every area. If financial regulatory reform, is it what I would do or what Elliot would do, left her own uh, designs? No, but is it something that they spent a lot of time vetting with Congress people to try to come up with something that had a chance of passage so that we could actually get something done as opposed to getting nothing done? It's back to Larry's, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. They did it and they have something out there. They have walked the walk, they've talked the talk. And what I frankly have heard tonight from the other panel is let's just go do it and let's pretend we're at the Aspen Institute or the Brookings Institution. It's just not how it works. And that concludes closing statements for this debate. And now it's time to learn which side argued best. Who are our winners? We're going to ask you one final time to go to the keypad on your seat and vote. Press 1 if you are for the motion two if you are against, and three if you are undecided. Our motion, Obama's economic policies are working effectively, and we get the results very quickly. They'll be here instantaneously. Just a couple of things. Our winner tonight of Quote of the Night, Mark Zandi, policy is not magic. Congratulations to you. <laughs> Just the honor. Just the honor. I want to thank, I really do want to thank the audience, uh, and especially our panelists for a very spirited debate, if we could give them an hour Our next debate um, will be Tuesday, December 1st. Our motion is America is to blame for Mexico's drug war. Panelists for the motion are Andreas Martinez. He's director of the New America Foundation Bernard L. Schwartz Fellows Program. Jeffrey Marone, a senior lecturer and director of undergraduate studies in the Department of Economics at Harvard. And Farid Zakaria, editor of Newsweek International. Against the motion, Jorge Castaneda, the former foreign minister of Mexico. Chris Cox, the executive director of the NRA Institute for Legislative Action, and Asa Hutchison, a former congressman and administrator of the DEA. Tickets are still available for this on our website and at the box office here at the Skirball Center. 
All of our debates will continue to be heard on more than 200 NPR stations, and that number is growing all of the time across the country. You can also watch these fall debates on the Bloomberg Television Network, and you can check for air dates and times in your local directory. Do not forget, you can read about today's debates in uh, next week's edition of Newsweek, and there's uh, copies in the lobby that you can pick up on your way out. All right, it's in now. I have been given the final results. And uh, I want to ask you, as I read the final results, I'll raise my hand as a gesture to you to please applause for the radio audience. Um, remember, the team that changes the most minds here is declared the victor, and here's how it breaks down. Before the debate, our motion, Obama's economic policies are working effectively. 32% were for the motion, 29% were against, and 39% were undecided. After the debate, 46% are for the motion, 42% against, 12% undecided. The side for the debate wins. Our congratulations to them and to everyone who took part from me, John Dunbar. Goodbye from Intelligence Squared U.S.